Hello, strangers, and welcome to the July 29th edition of the Strange Horizons Poetry Podcast. I'm your host, Chiro Faenza, and this week we have three poems for you. First two up are graphic poems by John Philip Johnson, Visit the Bottomless Pit, and The Star's My Destination. John Philip Johnson has worked in Rattle, Asimov's, FNSF, Apex, Mythic Delirium, The Pedestal, Phantom Drift, Ted Kuzer's newspaper column, American Life and Poetry, and The Poetry Foundation, with Pushcart, Best of Web, and Riesling Noms. He would love to live on Mars. His comics are from his new comic book, The Book of Fly, which is graphic poetry in Twilight Zone-like episodes. Available at www.johnphilipjohnson.com. First up is his Visit the Bottomless Pit. Content advisories for this poem include Child Death and Death and Dying. And now, the poems. Visit the Bottomless Pit by John Philip Johnson Art by Bob Hall Page 1. Image A roadside billboard reads Visit the Bottomless Pit 10 Miles Our ancestors discovered it centuries ago. Now it is a tourist attraction. Image A drab green field contains a cracked concrete circle around a black hole like a staring pupil. They put bumper stickers for it on your car if you park too long in nearby towns. It's a hole in the ground, like a round black pupil, surrounded by a concrete iris rim. There is no guardrail. It would be easy for someone reckless to leap across. Image. Planet Earth surrounded by its atmosphere. A mirror image of the hole circled by concrete. But it truly is deep beyond imagination. A tunnel going down endlessly. Current operators say it was built for entertainment, but it's much older than that, and it doesn't go out the other side of the world, so it must end somewhere. Page 2. Image. Tourists of all ages gather around a hole the size and shape of a well, leaning over the edge to take selfies, dangling their feet in. A toddler in flip-flops perches on the lip of the hole, while a woman holding a shopping bag looks at a small dog. Baby feet twist into the air as the child tumbles forward. There was a small crowd of vacationers milling about, bored, standing too close, I thought, like people too close to the tracks in a subway, like they didn't believe it was dangerous. There was a toddler, a little girl. I watched as the mother unbelievably became distracted, just for a second. Image. The toddler's frightened face and outstretched hand as the child falls into darkness, a loose flip-flop beside the child's contorted body. I didn't have time to yell. The child peered over and tumbled in. Page 3. Image. Four vertical white lines show different stages of the child's fall. The child is halfway down, then lower, then lower, falling, twisting. I still think about her falling. I try to believe the experience was so unusual for her she didn't process it as fear, but rather as the sensation of floating. The rushing air, a wind, pushing her back to her mother. Image. The moment of impact. The child landing on her bottom in a patch of grass, bare feet waving in sunshine. To plummet like that, on and on, unknowing, it would be a kind of freedom. One night I dreamed there was a soft landing, just a little ways down, a sunny, grassy bottom where she tumbled, alive and happy. Final image. 
The child smiles gently as she is greeted by two dozen enthusiastic children of varied ages and races. One boy turns toward her with a ball in his hands. Another child waves from a climbing tree. Another holds his arms wide, inviting a hug. With all the other fallen children. The Stars My Destination by John Philip Johnson. Art and Lettering by Adam Martin. Page 1. Image. A black-robed figure with a helmet approaches an enormous half-buried turbine across a night-dark field tinged pink. I scuttle in the dark down barely-lit galleys, a sliver of life amongst hulks of discarded craft. Image. The robed figure's large bulk is hunched and weary. Beneath its hood, instead of a face, there is a fist-sized circle of red light. A second image, larger and less shadowed, reveals an angular armored face with a single glowing red eye. Thin metal tentacles curl past the chin like dreadlocks. Salvage, they call it, but no one comes for it. We are alone, floating in space, the wreckage of old spaceships. And myself. Page 2. Image. The black robe drags across the ground. The creak of old hulls is the void trying to break in, relentless crush of nothing. Image. An air tank on the roped figure's back resembles an insectoid sea lion. We resemble the end of all things. The apocalypse does not recycle. The end of light, its dull terminus, the passing of the stelliferous era. Image. Light streams from the figure's face. It does not kindle new light. Yet there is no end to endings. Page 3 image, an empty red circle. Beneath it, an identical red circle contains a small, indistinct, green, gleaming oblong. For now, we are the only place free from any nature, even our own. Image, a third identical circle magnifies the mysterious object. It is a test tube which contains a seedling. Garbage exists out of time, beyond history, unencumbered in the near-perfect dark. Page 4. Image. The robed figure holds the test tube in metal fingers. Soft red-gold light from the figure's face refracts through the glass around the seedling. I am an egg. I am the egg of eggs, formless and empty, able to take any shape I want or none at all. I am the only thing without inertia. Page 5. Final image. A single-leafed seedling planted in rough ground, in darkness, firmly rooted. I want nothing. If I am born, it will be without meaning. Like a star. And our final poem this week is Sislin Smith's Borrower. Sislin Smith likes playing pretend, playing games, and playing with words. She calls Madison, Wisconsin home. She has been known to crochet tentacles, write stories and poems at odd hours, and gallivant. Her work has appeared in Starline, Diabolical Plots, and Flash Fiction Online. Content advisories for this poem include body transformation, death and dying, shaming, and violence in combat. Borrower by Sislin Smith If you want to meet superheroes, there are plenty of places to go. Bars and clubs and that one diner down on 5th. And news stations, of course, always those. So that's where she goes. 
She'll be the secretary or the office assistant. She'll be the person stocking the vending machine or the harried waitress rolling her eyes at their tired jokes. They've seen her dozens of times but never recognize her. People like her don't get seen, not in the company of the Silver Scream and the Red Phantom, Sure Shot and Justice. They have the swagger, and she blends into the background. They are young and fit. Everything a superhero or villain is supposed to be, and she isn't. Everyone knows that supers are young. That's just how the science works, and only these specific kinds of bodies can handle the strain. That's what they said. That's how it is. She's round and she's short. She's got a little limp and her hair isn't perfect. And she's so far past puberty she's looking at the other side. And with just a quick touch she borrows his knowledge of the island layer, her ability to fly, his skill with locks. And the raid on the compound, if it's publicized at all, will be attributed to some new super on the scene. Probably some teenaged fool who dares to dare greatly, not understanding the real risks, TM, of angering unstable supers, and will get himself killed. Pretty tights folded across the memorial casket. Everyone knows how that story goes. So does she, actually. She's more careful than any of the capes, and she does more damage than any mask dismantling the weapons array pointed at the city, clearing the computers of all the citizen information, freeing the minions of their mind-control helmets. It's systematic, thorough, and effective, because she's not fucking around. This isn't a game. She's not doing this for the pics. She won't Instagram her pecs to prove it happened or to prove her worth. She's got absolutely nothing to prove and everything on the line. Nobody will remember she's there. She took that one from Fader when he did that interview at the radio station. The supers make a show of saying that those who can, must. They speak of responsibility, and then fight in the streets, foster public rivalries with megalomaniacs and mad scientists. For them, serving and protecting is mostly about protecting their brands. The damage is always Goldilocks style, just enough tragedy to urge action, to make it an absolute necessity for them to save the day. So yes... She's taking down the overt threats one fortress at a time, taking away their ability to do harm. And when that's done, she'll be at your gym, changing the towels. And maybe the next time this background hero borrows from one of you fancy types, she won't be so inclined to give back what she took. And this has been the July 29th edition of the Strange Horizons Poetry Podcast. We hope you like what you heard. You can leave us a comment on the podcast page. And while you're there, check out the rest of this week's issue. We have a column by John Clute, as well as an essay on N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy by Alexander Clement. And lastly, as a reminder, Strange Horizons is an all-volunteer organization. We depend on the support of our listeners. So when you have a moment, check out the donate link at the top of the page. And until next week, stay strange. Stay strange.